0: Good morning. I think it's morning. I'm a little lost for time. Um, before we get started, I just, uh, I, some of you may not know who I am. I, I try to stay a little more behind the scenes, low key these days. Uh, I, my name is Mike Yoder. I'm uh, elder and uh, also on the board here at uh, Fellowship Church. And I also happen to have the, the honor of being Anthony's brother-in-law. So... Um, and every now and then he asks me to speak, and so that's why I'm here. And he's gone in Oklahoma, so he's probably probably watching now. So, you guys make sure you give him a good report. Before we get started, let's just uh, let's just open in prayer. Lord, I just thank you for being here to today with us. Uh, what an awesome music worship time that we got to experience! And great, you are great, and it's amazing to be here with you and with your people today. Um, just guide, guide my words. Let them be your words. Let the message be yours, not mine. And uh, help us to have an awesome rest of the service. In Jesus' name, amen. So I love this section of the Bible. This is probably one of the, my favorite, favorite portions of the Bible. Not, not the only, but way up there on the list. Definitely in the Old Testament, right after God created, right? Um, and a, what I really like about speaking about this is usually Anthony gives me some very, you know, very uh, weird topic or person to preach about, like that there's one sentence in the Bible. And then you're like, great, I have to preach on that? Like, um, so this is great because it's more storytelling. And I... I I like that part, and maybe that's why I like this part of the Bible as well, and lots of fighting and, you know, battles and stuff, and I'm sorry, but I I, I enjoy reading about battles and things like that. I know that that's not good, but it's probably hardwired into me, so there it is. Um, so in this story, unfortunately, I don't get a preach about my favorite prophet, which is... Elijah, and I named my son, my youngest son, Elijah, or we did, I guess I had to have permission from my wife to name him Elijah, um, because I really like him as a prophet. But Elijah also has some amazing uh, stories, amazing um, just connection with God that I think is, is really cool to tell about. So we are in 2 Kings chapter 5, and the story continues with Elijah and a Syrian military leader named Naaman. Now, if you're a Bible scholar and that's a mispronunciation, just keep it to yourself. (laughs) There'll be more. Also, mathematicians, beware. Be ready. So, in verse 1, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So, first of all, let's talk about Naaman. He is like the number one general for the king. He is the reason, or one of the main reasons, besides the fact that God is allowing them, for the Syrians to have been conquering and and winning in the battles against the chosen people Israel. Um, A mighty man of valor, honored, right, all these things. And he's an important character in Syria, but he has a problem, he's a leper. Now, I was gonna send some pictures of leprosy to have them show up on the screen, but I decided that it was too early in the morning for that, and it may be too early or too late in the afternoon later, but I can tell you, one, leprosy is, is a, a disease that's controlled well in modern day, in the modern day, but it was not back then, and so basically what would happen is your nerves and your skin would begin to basically just kind of shrivel up and die, and at the end of it, Typically, people's fingers would come off, their face would become super um, scarred up, and just they looked hideous in a, in a sense. But more importantly, for an amen, it would have ended his service as a military general because he would no longer be able to do what he needed to, to do, and eventually it would have killed him. And so, for the king, this is kind of an important deal that he gets. Naaman to somebody, if he can, that will will heal him. Fortunately for the king, his wife has a servant. And when they say servant, they're being generous. Uh, During one of the raids of Syria into Israel, they took this young girl as a slave. And then they put her in service to the king's wife, or Naaman's wife. And so we're not talking about somebody who's just like, hey, I really... I really like Naaman and his wife, and you know they're just great people, and I just kinda wanna you know, look out for them, right? I, I've got this tip, hot tip for them about a prophet in the land of, of Israel. This is a slave girl. She is being no doubt treated like a slave girl, but for some reason that isn't really completely clear in the text, this girl has a soft spot for her uh, master and her master's wife, and says, hey, I, you know, it's too bad. It's too bad that he wasn't in Israel with the prophet, because this prophet's pretty, pretty. you know, he's pretty capable of these things. So, so she tells him, and the king says, okay, well, um, let see, let me make sure I get. Um, so Naaman, Naaman heads to the land of Israel, to seek healing from his leprosy. And so we continue on in the scripture. It says, So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, He tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. So first, let's talk about this gift that is sent along. Here's where the mathematicians need to close their ears for a sec. I did this... uh, extensive research on the value of this. The silver, the silver was 750 pounds, the gold was 150 pounds, and then of course the tin changes of clothes. Like, you know, whoopee. So silver, silver right now is uh, 27.5 and 57 cents an ounce. That's $330,000 worth of silver in today, if we had it today. That's a pretty good chunk of change. The gold. Gold is $2,000 an ounce right now. That's $4.8 million today, if you had that gold. Now, this is not one of those commercials that you hear on the radio, right, about go out and buy gold because, you know, the world's coming to an end and it's the only thing that's going to be of value because we know it's going to be coffee and sugar, (laughs) right? I wouldn't, uh, anyway. So I'm not trying to get you to go out and buy gold, but I'm telling you, this is a lot of gold. And uh, so, and the clothing, right? 10 changes of clothing. Now, for me, 10 changes of clothing would be, you know, probably about 400 bucks, right? Shirt and pants, you know, the works. Uh, I could probably do that for 400 bucks. But I looked up on the internet to find out, you know, if you're, because, you know if he's sending $4.8 million worth of gold, right? He's not sending JCPenney, you know, outfits, right? Or uh, suits. Like he's gonna send something really nice. Did you know, anybody wanna guess what the most expensive suit you can buy today costs? $892,000. Yes, and that doesn't include the shoes. And you know you're going to have to buy some expensive shoes to go with an $89,000 suit, or $892,000. Anyway, so, 8,000, what'd I say? 8,920 for the set. So, uh, oh yeah, underwear too. I'm sure there's probably underwear, right? (laughs) Uh, Now, I don't know if Naaman thought that This prophet is gonna wear like a suit that costs that much, but I'm thinking he's gonna throw in some pretty good clothes. So definitely it's gonna cost you a lot of money. Total $14 million worth of items in this in this gift that he's sending along. And then, and then if that's not enough, he sends the letter. Now I know they typed out the letter and put it in the Bible, but it's been misinterpreted probably because I think it went more like this: Dear King of Israel. I'm sending my faithful servant to you. You know, the one that has helped me defeat your armies so many times. Please heal him. Much appreciated. Sincerely, your immortal foe, the king of Syria. (laughs) Does that sound more like it? I mean, they were trying to be kind, I'm sure. So the king of Israel assumes this is just a pretext for a war. Why is that? Well, if you go to Syria today and Israel... They are at war. They've been at war since the nation of Israel was reestablished. But prior to that, they've been at war on and off for all known history. So he thinks it's just going to be a chance to say, oh, you didn't do what I asked. It was a little thing. I even sent the gift along, and now we're going to have to invade and take over your land again. Uh, so So he tears his clothes, the king does. And I'm sure it wasn't one of those suits because he would have probably thought better of that. And uh, so why is he tearing his clothes? Well, it's a sign of grief and mental tribulation. He's distressed. Like, this is not good news for the king. So in there he's thinking, here we go again. Next, here comes the Syrian army. So we move back to our text. It says, but, but when Elijah, the man of God, heard... That the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? That's what my wife would tell me. Why have you torn your clothes? Let, me, let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So interestingly enough, Elijah has to remind the king of Israel, Hey, you do know you have a prophet in your own kingdom. Why are you upset about this? And this is, once again, this, this uh, realization that Israel need only repent and turn back to God, and they won't have to be worrying about it. They're worried about a man, a king, in Syria. But if they had only turned to God, they would not have to worry about that anymore. Uh, the first thing he thought of, though, was not the thought of that slave girl. Hey, there's a prophet that can do anything over there. So no wonder Israel was struggling so much. Even their king had lost sight of God. And in verse 9, So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elijah's house. Now, I was trying to think about this in terms of modern-day equivalent, but think about this is this is not just hey he walked up to the house or he took an Uber to the house or something like that he comes in his chariot with his horses with his all his, I'm sure a huge uh, group of men with him and it's the modern day equivalent of showing up in a Black Hawk helicopter landing in the front yard of Elijah's house and then right behind it is a big Chinook helicopter full of silver gold and fancy suits right? And it lands right behind. So Naaman, of course, I'm sure, you know, chest puffed out, his little leprosy fingers (laughs) flopping around. Walks up to the house, you know, he probably didn't even bang on the door. He probably had like one of his soldiers had to do that, right? Bangs on the door. He's a powerful, rich, influential person. Unlike me, I asked for petals to be put in the toilet today, and no, they're not back there. <laughs> Guaranteed. Oh, Ladina let me down. Number two to the king this of Syria, who basically dominates the entire area of the, of the world. And he's there to make a purchase right? It's in the, the price is in the Chinook. He's, and Elijah sends a messenger to the door. He's back at the pool, probably, right? Oh, hey, go get the door. And when you go, tell him this, right? So we'll get into it. Elijah sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean." But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hands over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Arpor the rivers of Damascus better than the waters of Israel? Could I have not washed in them and be, be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. He's pissed. I don't know if I can say that in church. It's too late. Pause for dramatic effect. First of all, he didn't even come to the door? He can't be bothered to get up from his lounge chair and come to the door? Doesn't he know who I am? Second, his servant just tells him, "Hey, go wash in the local river. piddly little river, a stream, really. Now I haven't been to the Jordan. I know you guys have been to the Jordan, right? And it's majestic, right? No. Uh, the Jordan River and again, I have to look up on things on the Internet, and, uh, but the Jordan River is just like a little stream. It's 100 feet wide, it said, at, at its biggest. And the, the deepest it gets is 17 feet. That's nothing. Like, that's, that's, barely a, that's barely a stream, really. And so this was an interesting story that happened. This is a true story that happened this week that helped me really understand what he was being asked to do. So my son, hopefully they're not, none of these people are listening, my son decided he should have a canoe. Now, he has at least 20 kayaks that I know of. He's a kayak um, hoarder, so to speak. Some of them I know because they end up at my house. Like I, don't, like, I don't know how they get there. But, like, I'll go out to my garage, open it up, and there'll be an extra kayak in there. I'm like, there's another kayak. And so he found this canoe on, on, the inter- on Craigslist or Facebook, Marketplace, whatever. And so he buys this canoe, and then he has this great idea He's going to take his kids out into the slough, which is right across the street from our house, uh, just a little bit back at the end of the property, and they're going to go with their uncle Eli, Elijah, not Elijah, and they're going to go fishing. Now, that sounds like a pretty fun afternoon, right? Well, I said, well, you know, that sounds kind of cool. Maybe I'll grab my kayak and I'll go down and, uh, you know, join you, right? So, so I go down there. They've already been fishing for quite a while. And anybody who's ever been in a canoe knows, like, this is, not, this is not a stable vessel, right? And they were doing great, though. But the chairs are, like, at level of the top of the canoe. And then he had his kids sitting in little um, camp chairs, little baby, you know, kids' camp chairs. I'm like, that's awful. You know, it's bringing your center of gravity up, Right? And But they're doing great, you know, they're fishing, they even caught some fish, I think. Um, and they're having a great time, and I paddle out there in my kayak, and of course I'm super stable in my kayak, I would never tip that over. And uh, so I'm coming along, and they're fishing, they're having a good time, and all of a sudden one of the kids shifts their weight just a tad. And I don't know if you've ever seen like a car accident where you're watching from afar, and you're just like, that car's going to have, it's, oh, ooh ah, it's, I could, and you can't do anything about it. But the canoe tipped one way, and then, of course, everybody has to shift the other way, and then the canoe tipped the other way, and just barely dipped in the water. A little water comes in, and, of course, panic ensues, and they shift to the other side, and then they realize it's going too far, and then, and then each time they tipped, Just a little more, a little more. Canoe's upside down, kids and fishing gear in the water, and Grandpa sitting in his kayak, dry and safe, right? But um, so I'm, I immediately, and I was right next to him, so it was really, it was really pretty dramatic. My my granddaughter for a brief second got panicky, but immediately then decided. I'm swimming in the river. I'm swimming in the river. So I'm like, all right, you go. And then anyway, they grabbed the kids and started loading all the stuff out of the c- canoe into my kayak and, and got the canoe turned up and on. Anyway, so it was, a, it was an, one of those stories that the grandkids will probably tell when their dad and uncle are long gone is this time that they took us down to the slough in the canoe. But I imagine that our slough is much like the Jordan River. Would that, Papa, would that be a good assumption? It's muddy. It's gross. There's these donut-sized globs of something that I don't know what they are. (laughs) I think they're eggs, but I don't know how they could be, what they could be from, but these floating all over, and then it's just the grossest. In fact, when we came back up, we finally got everybody back up to the house, and my granddaughter was running around. She's like, smell me, Grandpa. I'm like, get away from me. Like, right? Don't come near me. So that's what Naaman was thinking. You want me to wash in that and be clean? That is disgusting water, and we have great rivers back where I came from. That's the river. So, seven times, Naaman. Um, And the other thing that I thought was interesting is this story reminded me a lot as I was reading it about a number of healings that Jesus did. And specifically blind people. One of my favorites was, and I think I even spoke on this somewhere at youth camp or something at one time, maybe even here, but... Basically, it was where Jesus spits in the, mud, in the dirt and makes some mud spit and puts it on the eyes of the blind person. I don't know about you, but like, you're what? Like, he's doing what? Because you can't see. You're just hearing, right? <laughs> What's he doing? He's making mud spit. What's he going to do with it? He's going to put it on your eyes. And anyway, healed him. Another time, he just spit right on his eyes. He's like, how's that? Well, it's still kind of blurry. I see, like, trees and people walking around like trees. Here, let me spit on him again. Now, how's it? Oh, it's good now. And then one time, he just said, hey, he just touched him and said, hey, you're, you're healed. Two blind guys that were chasing him, loud guys, like, wouldn't be, wouldn't be quieted down. And Jesus like, all right, all right, bring them over here, would you? Just be quiet and you'll be healed. Um, I I just thought it was cool that it it reminded me of that. Something very odd. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you making me go bathe in this horrible river? So, meanwhile, back to Naaman, in verse 13. His servants came near and said to him, so he's mad. I've been like this before. I'm very mad. And then my wife's like, Hey, 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 wait a minute. Have you thought about this? Like, think about it this way. Like, hey, my father, it is a great word from the prophet uh, that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down. So finally they reasoned him. Like, yeah, we're here already. The Chinook's full of gifts. You know, let's just do this. So he goes down, dips himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now, seven times, seven is the number of completeness and perfection. It took seven days to make the world, those kind of things. So it's, very, uh, it's a number that we see repeated over and over in the Bible, and it's a very important number. And is made And his flesh was... Made like that of a little child. Now, I got to tell you, I'm getting along in years now. I'm not ancient, but I'm older. And when I look at my flesh, every now and then I'm like, oh, that's old man flesh, right? Like, what, when did that happen? When I look at the back of my hand, I'm like, what are those spots on there? Like, so I can appreciate the flesh of a little child. I mean, when you know, well, you, some of you guys have little children, little kids, babies. Their flesh is remarkably smooth and, you know, it's pretty, pretty cool. I would, I would think that not only did he get his leprosy healed, right, but all the scars of that disease are gone completely. And his skin is like a baby. So, he returns to the man of God. He and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, "Behold, I know that there is a God. There is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant." And he said, "As the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive none." And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Hey, I don't need any of your presents. This, this was—you're not purchasing your healing. So this time Naaman comes, but not as a general with his chest puffed out with his chariots and all his accompaniment. He comes in humility. And, this, and the last time he stood before the door, but this time he stands before Elijah. Healed and converted. He's praising the God of Israel. Even the king's not doing that. He's ready to pay his fee, complete the transaction, but not so fast. Elijah turns his gifts down. Then in an interesting twist, Naaman asks for two things, dirt and forgiveness. So it says, and we're not going to read it just because time is running short and I don't want to run long, but he says, hey, give me two two donkeys worth of earth. That they can carry back with me so that when I pray now, I can pray to the God of Israel, wherever I'm at. And the second thing he says, and hey, I need you to know that the king back home, he's not going to pray to the God of Israel. And I'm required to, you know, attend him, right? And so please, can I get some forgiveness in advance that when I'm in there and I'm helping the king up and bowing down before his, king, his God, then I'm not interested in that God. I only want to serve the God of Israel. And, and he, gives them, he gives them that. He says, go in peace. So back in this day, right, everybody believed that every land, every part of the land had a God. Um, unlike today's idea that God just is everywhere, God resided in that place. God resided in that earth. And so that's why Naaman wanted to have the earth to go with him. And because he knew that that would hopefully allow him to bring God, a little bit of God along with him. Today, we realize that even though we're here in this building, that God's not here anymore than he's at your home when you are eating or going to bed or whatever you're doing or wherever you are. He's He's always there. You don't have to go someplace to get close to God. But Naaman didn't have a concept of that at the time. And this would be a cool ending for the, for the, for the story. Naaman's healed. God of Israel is, you know, everybody knows now. He's, he's, he's capable. Elijah's capable. Um, but what happens next, and again, I'm not going to re- read through the whole story, but I'll tell you what happened uh, Elijah has a servant get Gehazi, uh, Gehazi, and he uh, thinks to himself, "You know what, man? I know that Chinook was full of great stuff. Maybe I should just chase after the uh, Naaman and, and get a little bit of that for myself." And he chases after, and he catches up with him and Naaman says, "Hey, what is everything okay?" And he says, "Yeah, but." Um, some Some prophets came, and they they need some of those nice fancy suits and a little bit of silver to get by on. And so he's like, "Oh, yeah, take everything. I'll have my servants carry it for you even. And so he sends them along, and then he, the servant, uh, takes them when they get to the city, sneaks them into his room, and then goes back to uh, to the prophet Elijah, like nothing happened. right? And unfortunately, You know, when you work for a prophet, probably not the best thing to be sneaking around, right? I mean, you didn't think this through. So he comes back in all nonchalant, like, hey, boss, what's up? And and, uh, Elijah's like, hey, do do you not know that I went with you like my spirit went with you? I know what you did, right? And in the end, um, his servant, he says, hey, that leprosy that was unnamed it's going to be yours. And he immediately, like it didn't just develop like it normally does, he immediately, his skin was white and, and the leprosy was all over him. What a tragic way to end what, a, what could have been an amazing story. So what have we learned from this story? Well, sometimes, and if you see yourself in any of these. I know I see myself in all of them. Sometimes we fail to acknowledge the God who is in our own land, who is our own God. Uh, I can't imagine even uh, uh, a time when that's not been worse. I I know for me, at least personally, we're living in some really crazy times. And for us, at least in this generation and the generations that are going through it now, uh, something none of us have ever experienced. I'm guessing that there's been times in history where things were a lot crazier um, and there was a lot more uncertainty about what was going to happen. But in, in this last, you know, generations of time, we haven't seen it like this. And it's easy to forget and get caught up in everything that's going on around us and forget the God of our, not our land, but our God, period, right? The God who rules everything. He's, he's over diseases. He's over money. He's over armies. He's over everything. And it's sometimes our failing is pride. We don't, we don't need God, or we can do it ourselves. That's man's. And if you look around at the world today, that's mankind. Hey, we don't, we'll do this. Big pharma, right? Big pharma will do it. Big government will do it. Whatever. Whatever it takes, we're, gonna, we're in this together and we're going to get it done. And that's the kind of thinking that the king of Israel had. Ah, we don't need God. We can do this on our own. Uh, number two, if we want God's will, we have to be willing to do it his way. Like, and I probably, if he's got it up there, it's backwards. I realized I typed it out wrong. But we have to be willing to do it his way. We have to obey and trust. Don't laugh at me, Ladina. <laughs> Naaman thought he knew, like, ah, if I'm going to get washed, I might as well do that in, in my local river, which is nice and clean and beautiful. Um, but sometimes God's going to ask us to get dirty and to do something that just doesn't make sense. And we have to obey and trust. Number three, every one of us has the potential to be used by God to reach those who are perishing. This servant girl, this slave girl, really, Um, She was nobody. Sometimes I know we think, well, I don't know about you guys, but I know sometimes I think, like, who am I? Even just within the last week, I thought, well, who am I? Who who am I, really? I'm nobody. And she could have thought that. She's like, oh, man, if I could only tell him about the prophet. But I just don't dare, because who am I? I'm just a slave girl. No, she had faith, faith that the king didn't have. Every one of us has the potential to leave a bad taste and detract from the glory of God. Like, Gehazi. Sorry, I'm going to strumble over that. Um, And that doesn't have to be greed. It can be a lot of different things. But that's our sin, that when it's known to the world, and we've seen this many times in history of uh, great people, that have been trapped up by their own sin. And at the end of the day, every good work they did was erased and more. And not just their good work, but the representation of the Lord that they they portrayed. God is not a respecter of persons, slave, king, warrior, prophet, servant. He doesn't see us the way we see us. He doesn't see you the way you see you. God is not a transactional God. This one is the best. There's a lot of, in the business world and the leadership world, there's a lot of, of uh, this concept of transactional versus trans- transformational. God is not a transactional God. Naaman thought, hey, I just need to bring my money, hand it over, and then I'll get my healing, right? God doesn't work that way. He's a transformational God. He doesn't want money. He doesn't want your things. He wants you. He wants a relationship with you, with us, each one of us. So today, as we get ready to close, I, the question that, um, and that is being asked is, and I think it's from God, he, he kind of, this, was, this was added, all right? This was added this morning because it just hit me It's like, oh, I get it now. This really is the way. Because, you know, typical, I don't have a way to really cap this off, but God did. Who are you? Are you the slave girl? Slave boy? Holding the answers? Just needing the faith to be like, hey, uh, raise your hand? Needing courage to step up and proclaim the amazing greatness of God? Are you like, Gehazi, letting the sinful affect, letting your sin affect the gospel message. And I got to say, I, I own that sometimes. I'm, a, I'm Gehazi. I need, to, I need to be thinking about what my behavior, my actions do in terms of the gospel. And then last, are you Naaman? Needing healing, needing life, salvation. He thought he was going there as we often do, he thought he was going there to the river or to, to Elijah and then dipping in the river. All along, he thought this was a transaction about his being healed. And he was healed, but more importantly, he was converted. More importantly, he suddenly turned to a God that he had not known before, a powerful God that, that blew away anything he knew in terms of a concept of a God. And so much so that he had to take that back. So today, if you're here, and uh, I'm, we're going to pray, we're going to close in prayer. And if, you're, if you identify with one or two or all three of those people, um, we're going to pray for you, pray for me. Um, but most importantly, if your name and... And you are just feeling like, you know, I need I need a God that's powerful enough to do whatever it's going to take. And I'm willing to go down and get in a muddy river, if he tells me, or I'm willing to whatever it takes. I don't just need to be healed of my sickness, bodily sickness, but that may be the case, too. But I need to be healed. I need to be restored to a relationship with with Jesus and with God in a way that I maybe never known or maybe I did. And I've kind of long ago. Walked away, right? So, let's just um, bow our heads, real. Lord, I just, um, I just give this message to you. I, I, I see myself through this story, and I play every character, every part. And I know that I know that there's people here today that also see themselves. In one or more of the characters in the story. And I just pray that you would just come down. Your spirit would just touch us where we're at. Give us boldness to preach you. To not be afraid to tell a lost and dying world that you are more powerful than anything that they're facing. Guard us. Have the Holy Spirit just put a check in us when we let our sin get in the way of your work and your uh, relationship with others and then lastly Lord we just put away our worldly riches which are not impressive to you and stop trying to negotiate or buy our way into whatever it is we're looking for eternal life healing whatever the case may be Lord we know all we have to do is read your word and know you do not care about that. You're not here to make a deal with us. You're not here to be a transactional agent. You're here to transform our lives from one thing into something completely different. And most importantly, to, to just create this relationship with us that is unbreakable and that all we do is think about you and think about what you are to us and what we can do to help others know about you. I just thank you for that, and I just pray that you would just pour your spirit out today into all of us as we leave. In Jesus' name, amen.